is coming a day when no heartache shall come, no more clouds in the sky, no more tears to dim the eye. All is peace forevermore on that happy golden shore. What a day, glorious day. shall see, and I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace, when he takes me by the hand, and leads me through the promised land, what a day, glorious day that will be, there'll be no sorrow there. No more burdens to bear, no more sickness, no pain, no more parting over there. And forever I will be with the one who died for me. What a day, glorious day that will be. I shall see, and I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace, when he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land. What a day, glorious day that will be. Well, let's take our Bibles and turn over to the book of Mark, Mark chapter 1, and we're still dealing with you become who you follow, and um, so we've, we're kind of just going to run through it very, very quickly and jump right into the new material, but uh, we've been kind of working through this, and uh, in Mark chapter 1, <clears throat> we're going to go ahead and take just a moment and look at that passage, and then we'll kind of touch on just a few things, and kind of give a little bit of background and move right on into the new stuff. So chapter 1, verse 16. Now as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew's brother casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. Now again, we've been considering our topic here, and we notice that there's a couple of different uh, uh, passages that address and deal with this particular incident. And of course, we have in Matthew 4, 19, he says, I will make you fishers of men. Luke chapter 5, verse 10, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. 
And finally, we note here in Mark 1.17, our particular passage, he makes the statement here, and I will make you to become fishers of men. Again, the first two passages seem to emphasize the fact that they're going to catch men and be fishers of men. While uh, this particular portion in Mark emphasizes the fact, or should I say emphasizes a process, really. And, and so that's what we've been focusing on, a process. We recognize that. We said, well, we're going to become fishers of men. And to, that word become means to pass from one state to the other. And uh, we note that. And as a result of that, we recognize that the fact is that whatever you follow is what you ultimately become, we've been saying. And, uh, you know, he says, listen, you follow me, fellas, and you're going to become fishers of men. If you just stick close to me, it's going to transform and change your outlook and your direction and even your actions. And so you become who you follow. And that's something that we've been noting and, and recognizing. And so we looked at this aspect of role models, and along the way, we touched on this thing we call the behavior tree. Now, I'm just going to let you know, I do have like 25 copies of the behavior tree up here, okay? Uh, If somebody's interested, you want a copy of that. Somebody said they were trying to write notes, and I keep switching the the, uh, slides on them before they can get it finished. And so I thought, well, here it is. And matter of fact, I have another portion of it as well, because this isn't the whole uh, concept. This is just the beginning of it. I have another portion of it where you're going to see arrows coming down and arrows going up. And what transpires and what really takes place in, in, the, biblical, in the biblical sense is that God says that we, we are changed two, two directions, if you will. One, you know, we already know that how you feel, your attitude, your, your opinions and your feelings are going to affect your actions. We understand that. But we said, and we've addressed this issue, that although our experiences and our upbringing cannot be changed, we can, we can determine our environment, our teaching, and our influences. And in doing so, we can affect our attitude, our opinions, and feelings. Now, here's the thing. This is a two-edged sword, though. Because if you'll notice the behavior tree, you see it's such great truth up there. You may not see it because it's pretty far off. But it's Proverbs 16.3. What you're going to find with Proverbs 16.3 is that the Bible makes this statement. It says, commit thy works unto the Lord and thy thoughts shall be established. So the fact is, is that not only do you need to and do I need to uh, ensure our influencers are proper because it affects our attitude, opinion, and feelings, but also our behavior will affect our attitude, opinion, and feelings. Most people have the idea that once God changes my heart, then I'll do the right thing. No, he says you do the right thing and it'll change your heart. And we know if the heart is changed, that's true change. So it's a double-edged sword. See, it's not enough to simply go through life and say, well, I, okay, I'll just go ahead and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll not allow myself to be influenced by the wrong things. I'll, I'll certainly be careful with my friends and others that I'm allowing. I'll, I'll listen to the right kind of uh, influences as well, teaching and training. I, my environment, I'll make sure it's correct. And that's very, very important. And you need to do that. And that will definitely affect you mentally, emotionally, attitude, opinion, feelings. But I'm telling you right now, if you're unwilling to do the right things, my friend, then you're, 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 you're done. You're toast, okay? That, it doesn't matter. Listen, I, I, go ahead and separate yourself from the world. Go ahead and make up your mind you're not going to listen to the wrong things. But if you're not willing to do the right things, then my friend, you're wasting your time in God's. I'm sorry, but you know we see it all the time now, don't we? People that are, we want change, but they're not willing to change. God says, listen, it's a double-edged sword here. 
So you go ahead and you change your behavior and you do what you know is right to do according to the word of God. That's going to affect your attitude, your opinion and feelings, as well as make sure your environment, your teaching and influencers are such that they too are a positive influence on you. If you take that two-edged sword and it both starts pushing and moving and, and, and working in your life, my friend, that's going to bring true change in your life. That's how it works. So both of those are on there and you can see that. If you'd like a copy, they'll be up front. Now, <clears throat> we spent some time addressing all of that, talking about some of those things. And um, we said that in Philippians 1.6, he says, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it to the day of Jesus Christ. God has begun a work in your life. And you know what? We understand that this work, as we said already, is a process. It's not something that happens overnight. It doesn't just happen in a week, a month, even a year. It is a lifetime process that God is working and moving in our lives. He's molding and he's making us. And so it's very important that we recognize that and that we continue to allow the Lord to have preeminence in our life and we do the right things. We allow only the proper influences and ultimately our life is transformed and changed. And as we're going to see, ultimately the goal is to be in the image of Christ. Okay, so we recognize that. Now, no one becomes all that God would have them to be the very moment they're saved. Again, becoming is a process that takes time. And if I can reiterate and I can reinforce this statement again, it is not enough to do, you must become. It's so important that you recognize the idea and the, the understanding that God is not impressed with your doing. God's not impressed with my doing. God is impressed when we become what he intends us to be. And that doesn't happen by just going to church and jumping into the bus ministry. Now listen, I'm about fed up to hear with people who say, well, you know, I don't want to just get burned out. I don't want to get burned out in the ministry. You know why people get burned out in the ministry? Because they don't have the proper balance in their spiritual life. It's not the ministry that burns you up. It's a lack of godliness in your life. Listen to me, I'm sorry, but I'm, I'm tired of making apologies for things that are the, the case. The bottom line is, is that people get burned out in the ministry, whether you're a pastor or whoever you are, because you do not have the relationship you ought to have with the Lord. That if you had the proper relationship with the Lord that you ought to have, you would know when you're stepping out too far, and you wouldn't burn up. I mean, there's no really, I'm just saying, we got we to be really realistic with some things here. Well, you know what, I go to that church and they just burn me up. They, they, I mean, they, they just burn me at both ends. I mean, they're working me here and they're working me here and they're doing this and they're doing that. Man, I'm going to tell you something. Did you just hear the testimonies about the Philippines? It's funny, I don't see people burning out. You know what's wrong with us? We're too comfort oriented. And so automatically we think that we're burning out just because we work a couple extra hours at the ministry. Now we can put in an extra four or ten hours at work on the week but we put an extra hour or two in the ministry and it's stealing our families and it's going to rob us of our children and our future is going to fall apart. Thank you, preacher. You're a blessing tonight. This is awesome stuff. I, I tell you what, this is good. All these recaps are always so good because you just throw extra stuff in every time. I know. Isn't this wonderful? So anyway, okay, so that's just, that's, that's the, I'm off the soapbox. Let me jump off. Okay, so now we can get back to the, the message now. Okay, so here we go. We're, we're out of that. Let's move on to some new stuff. So, We've been talking uh, and moving along here, and we talked about, you know, friends, you know, and how important it is to have the right kind of friends. Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupts good manners. We said Hebrews 10, 24, let us consider one another and to provoke, to provoke unto love and to good works. Can I tell you one of the great reasons why I, I'm so thrilled to see you here tonight? 
You, you know what you've done for me? You've provoked me unto love and to good works tonight. Do you know that, uh, the, you know, while I was preparing, I kept thinking, you know what? Probably nobody's even going to be at church tonight. You know, I, I hear the weather reports and I know how people are, you know, and, and, and you know, and, and then you got folks that are freaking out about the health situation and all. And I'm thinking, nobody's going to show up at church tonight. You know, everybody's sick and everybody's upset with the weather and probably we'll have, you know, you know, 18 choir members and we'll have a big ensemble tonight. But you know what? When you show up tonight, you make me think, you know what? I need to work 10 times as hard on Wednesday night because look at the group that's here tonight. And in the, in the weather, potential weather even. Man, that's encouraging to me. I can't tell you. That has provoked me unto love and to good works. And you know what you've done? You, you, you did that, by the way. And you know what? There's probably somebody that's here that's going, you know, I'm glad I came tonight, getting to talk to so-and-so, seeing their smile, shaking their hand, hanging out with them tonight. That was fun. That was exciting. That, that encouraged me tonight. See, that's why we gathered today, to, to, to provoke unto love and to good works. That's important. That's a positive influence. By the way, you wouldn't have got that watching. Uh, the, the, the show that came to my mind was, listen to this one. You're going to love this. Barnaby. Why would I even have thought of Barnaby? Anybody even know who Barnaby is? <laughs> you remember that show years ago, Barnaby? Why would I even think that show, honestly? You know, Barnaby. Come on. That's like, that's as bad as Kojak, baby. But anyway, you know, I mean, come on. Or Starsky and Hutch, right? I mean, are you kidding me? Right? Or Beretta. I mean, I don't know. Maybe, now, see, I wasn't really, I wasn't, I, I was allowed to watch some things. Maybe I probably shouldn't have when I was a kid because, you know, it's just the way it was. But, but you know what I'm saying, Beretta, I don't know if Beretta's bad or not, but, you know, Huggy Bear was pretty cool. But nonetheless, you know, so uh, some of you know what I'm talking about. But anyway, you know, uh, you, you know, don't do the crime if you can't do the time. But anyway, uh, so isn't it crazy how that stuff sticks with you? Some of you are going, oh, this is really, oh, this is not good. He's really digressing here. I'm just trying to make a good example of, of, of the true evolution, the de-evolution of mankind. See, I'm just giving an example of that. But nonetheless, um, so we note that. Then we talked about the master, First Peter, excuse me, chapter 2, verse 21. Uh, for even here unto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. And we said, okay, well, let's define those steps. And we spent some time defining those steps a little bit. We looked at that passage in detail. And basically, when it was all said and done, we talked about the example of Jesus Christ. And we said, well, these are the steps that he has taken and intends that we follow. Steps of submission, steps of sacrifice, steps of suffering, steps of service, and steps of surrender. And those are all things that we learn from Jesus Christ, and we ought to follow in his steps. And so we noted the Lord's our greatest example then. And uh, with that said, we talked about how the, the, we started to talk about how those men that were following Jesus Christ were becoming exactly what he said they'd be, fishers of men. Now, because of time, I'm not going to go into it, but if you take the time to read Mark chapter 6, verses 7 through 13, you're going to find that these men were ultimately sent out. And guess what they were doing? They were out preaching repentance. They were out going, telling people about the fact of, of, of the need to turn to Jesus Christ, so to speak, because, because, because it's, it's going down. This is it. He's here finally. The Messiah is here. And uh, he sends them out and he says, listen, you just go out there and boy, I'll tell you what, if they don't want to hear it, you shake the dust off and you move on. And they are becoming fishers of men because they're hanging around Jesus. See, you are who you, bec- you, you, you become who you hang around, Right. 
who you're with. And, and that's important stuff. And so uh, we want to continue then. I, I have a question then to start tonight, really, in our new, our new material. And here's the question. We'll have a very quick word of prayer and we'll move on. What concrete ben- benchmarks help us evaluate our fellowship? What concrete benchmarks help us evaluate our fellowship? I mean, how, how is, or, um, you know, I guess, um, what are some of the characteristics or qualities? What are some of the things that say that we are following the Lord? You know, what are some of those benchmarks? Some of the things that we can really grab hold of and say, man, I am following the Lord because... Okay, think about that. Let's have a word of prayer. And I'm gonna, we're going to take a little walk through 1 John. Just a little walk through 1 John tonight. And I want to give you, um, is it six or seven things? Let me look. I'm going to double check that real quick. I, I don't want to, oh, seven things. I added that last one there. Yeah, you'll enjoy that last one. So let's go ahead and uh, uh, pray. <clears throat> Father, we come to you. Thank you for this time together. Thank you for these that have gathered. Lord, what an encouragement it is to see all these faces here tonight all these souls that are represented. Father, to think that folks would come out on an evening like this because of their desire to learn the Word of God. And Lord, there's no doubt that sometimes we, we say things uh, to try to get some people to think. And yet, Lord, we understand, I do at least, that, Father, folks that are here tonight have a love for you. They want to learn, or they wouldn't be here. And so help us to grow in you. May we take seriously what we hear and may we really allow it, the Holy Spirit to drive it home and to, 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 to make a difference in our life. May we not leave here the same as we came. What a waste of our time and yours if we do. Help us, Lord, to really seriously focus our attention on you for these next few moments. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Number one, <clears throat> turn, if you would, just to the book of 1 John. We're going to look at chapter 1 to start with and, so then we'll, and we'll go from there. So 1 John chapter 1. It's all the way in the back. That's the little John. Not, not, again, not the one on Big Chuck and Little John. But, but the first John in the back of the book, the Bible, okay? Not the big, long book, uh, the, the little one, okay? First John. All right. <clears throat> first John chapter 1, verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. What's one of those benchmarks? Walking in the light. Walking in the light. Now, I don't know about you, but we know that the Bible says that God is light and in him is no darkness at all, right? Now, again, if, if we say that we have fellowship with him, God, but yet we walk in darkness. Now, we know that in the book of John chapter 3, it talks about this darkness. And he says, men love darkness rather than light. So I guess we could equate somewhat uh, the deeds, our deeds. Are our deeds those that reflect the light of the Lord Jesus Christ? Are they righteous deeds or are they dark deeds? And those are important things. Someone says, well, I'm trying to have fellowship with God. Well, what kind of walk do you have? Is it a walk in the light or is it walk in darkness? Are you fulfilling those things that are pleasing unto Christ or are you doing those things that are pleasing to the flesh? So, again, a benchmark of what your fellowship is, where your fellowship lies. Oh, I'm in fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, how's your walk? Is it in the light or is it in darkness? And again, I don't think that I have to explain all of that to you. You're quite uh, versed enough to know what the good or the bad is, what the right or the wrong is, what darkness and light is as far as how our life is, 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 is you know, reckoned and understood. So 1 John 1, 6 addresses this issue, walk in the light. 
And again, the list that we're going to share is not comprehensive, mind you, but it certainly is something to get us to start thinking. And this is just found in the book of 1 John. We could go to a number of other, a number of other uh, passages in Scripture to identify other things. But walk in the light. If you had to assess your walk, would you say 80% is light, 20% is darkness? Would you say that 90-10? Would you say 99-1? Would you say 70-30? What would you say? I'm walking in the light. I always do those things that I know please God. That'd be 100%, right? Okay? So what's your fellowship? Who are you hanging around? Because if we're hanging around Jesus Christ, then we're going to be walking in the light. Okay? Number two, how about this one? One of those concrete benchmarks that help us evaluate our fellowship, who we're really fellowshipping with, and what we're really doing in our life is love the brethren. Look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 10. 1 John 2, verse 10. It says, He that loveth his brother abideth in the light. That word abideth goes us right back to our text for our, uh, our, our uh, theme this year, right? Uh, you know, uh, if any man abide in me and I in him, well, there you go. Here's another abiding here. He says, he that loveth the, his brother abideth in the what? Light. There's that word light again. And there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in what? Darkness. And walketh in darkness and knoweth not whither he goeth because the, that darkness hath blinded his eyes. Now, I, I think right off the bat, if I look at the end of that statement, chapter 2, verse 11, and he says here, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. He doesn't have an understanding. He's, he's rec- not, he, he, he doesn't even know whether he, where he's going, really. Again, if you've ever met a Christian that hates somebody, what you're going to find is that they're actually spiritually blinded. That's what they really are. Now, they can claim to be walking in the light, but according to the passage, they're not walking in the light. They're walking in darkness. Do you know what that means then? That means their fellowship isn't really with Jesus Christ, because if it was, they'd be becoming more like Christ in the light, not the darkness. Listen, we need to be a little honest with ourselves about who we're really fellowshipping with and who our our associations really are with. Because if we can hate somebody or have bad feelings towards someone that's called a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ, then my friend, we're really off base. And the truth is, is that we are blinded spiritually and we are in darkness. It's that simple. It's not complicated. It's Bible. And we need to be aware of that. 1 John 4, 11 and verse 20 as well says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. That's pretty simple. Verse 20 says, If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. Can you imagine if, uh, if uh, one of these teenagers uh, uh, come to me, say, Brother Chase, and he says, uh, Preacher, uh, I love God, but I just can't stand. I, I hate one of the teenagers. And I said, Guess what? You say you love God? Yeah, you're a liar. If I said that to him, how do you think his parents, now not his parents probably, but most parents, would respond like, Preacher, how dare you insult my child like that? How dare you say those things to him? You don't know his heart. How can you judge him? That's what they'd say to me. So I'm not going to say it. What I would do is I'd go to this scripture and I'd say, verse 20, I'd say, hey, brother Chase, let's read a passage. If a man say, I love God and hated his brother, he's a liar. Now, he didn't say he hates somebody in the youth. He never said that. But nonetheless, I'm not really saying you're a liar either. I'm just using it as an example, so don't get, you can, 
What, could you give him a, your hanky? It looks like he's starting to cry there. Okay, so anyway, uh, for he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? One of these benchmarks again. You know, do you love the brethren? I mean, look, I'm just going to be honest with you here. I, I'm, I, listen, do you know what I like to do? Can I tell you what I enjoy doing? Can I tell you what I enjoyed doing before I ever? Uh, let me just lay, lay, take the gloves off and say it the way most people will say it. You know what I loved doing before I got paid to do it? See, that's how most people are. Well, you're the pastor. You get paid to do it, so you got to do it. Well, you know what I did before I ever got paid to do it? I loved going to church. Amen. Do you realize I looked for every reason I could to be in church? Amen. You don't want to know why? Not only did I love just being in church because I felt the presence of God because it just, you say, well, he's not there. Rather, two or more gathered. Yeah, whatever. I felt him here anyway in, in whatever building I was. Wherever the God was, I just wanted to feel God's presence. Amen. And number two, I loved being around God's people. Amen. You know, I start to get a little nervous when people that call themselves Christians don't want to be in church. Yes, because I wonder how much they really love the brethren. Right. That bothers me a little bit. Amen. You, you know what I mean? It's kind of like the family reunion. People say, oh, I love my family. You come to the family reunion? Yeah, I can't make it this year. You haven't made it for the last six. <laughs> you get where I'm going with Now, wait a second. There, is there something wrong with that to you? I don't know about you, but don't you start getting a complex if you're the family and they don't want to come? I know. That's good times again. We're really, this is good. You say, you should be preaching this on Sunday morning, preacher. Yeah, probably, but that's okay. You can take it. They can't. But anyway, uh, probably not. But anyway, uh, they pro- I mean, they probably can't. Don't misunderstand what I just said there. Okay, so anyway, so walk in the light, all right? And then love the brethren. Hey, number three, love not the world. First John chapter two. Look at first John chapter two. Again, this is a familiar passage. All we're doing is looking at some benchmarks, you know, things that would identify our fellowship. I mean, if we're fellowshipping with the Lord Jesus Christ, then it should be clear. We're walking in the light. It should be pretty obvious. We love the brethren. And you know what? We don't love the world. Oh, boy. 1 John 2, 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is, wow, not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Now, I'm going to make a statement. You may or may not agree with this, but I'll tell you, as a Christian, I believe that we can fall into the trap of of desiring the things of the world without loving it. It can bother us. It eats at us. And we don't want the world in our life. And it, it drives us over the wall. We're like, why am I still so attracted to this world? I I don't like the world. I don't want to be a part of the world. But it keeps drawing me. Hey, you may feel that way. And you know what? That's called temptation. So there is that element where, again, this is more than just action. This is a heart attitude. Do you love God's, do you you love love the world? Do you love things? Listen, isn't it funny? I stood up here and said, if you go home and watch that halftime that halftime thing or whatever it was for the Super Bowl. I can't remember what I said, but it basically was, you ain't very spiritual. Okay, I think that's what I said, basically. Now listen, there has been nothing but controversy 
over that halftime program. And from what I understand, it, it, it got pretty rough. Now listen, if you watch that, my friend, you ought to be asking yourself, do I love the world? Yeah, I, I think I'd be asking myself that. You say, again, you judging me? No, I'm just saying, let the word of God speak in your heart. I mean, what is it about something like that? Now, I'm not, listen to me. Don't, listen, I'm, 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 I'm going to glass house, okay? Listen, in my flesh, I may be able to tolerate that and enjoy that. Absolutely. As a man, yep. And some of the ladies are going, what? Our pastor? Yes. But that is not something that in my spirit I want anything to do with. I got to die to self. I don't want to see that junk because if I see that junk, it's only going to cause me to want to do things that are inappropriate and unscriptural. I don't need that mess in my life. I don't need that confusion in my life. You know what? In the Christian life, you're going to be faced with options. You have opportunities to, to, to walk into confusion, which will ultimately cause you to question your faith, may even cause you to question the direction you're traveling, may, cost you, may cause you to even question the standards that you have and, and the, the, what you really believe. Let me tell you something. Why would you put yourself through that? Man, why, why do we love the world enough to let it affect our walk and relationship with the Lord like that? We have to fight that. We have to really work hard at that. <clears throat> Love not the world. Wow, that's, that's a tough pill to swallow. That's a tough one. That's a lot easier said than done. And we can sit here all pious and we can act like, well, I'm glad I don't love the world. But you want to know something? We all better be fighting it because if we don't, we're going to fall right into it. Because it is who we are in our flesh. Not, not the new man, but that old man. That old man loves it. And let me tell you, unless you crucify that old man according to Romans 6, we're all up a crick. Without a paddle. So we got we to strive. But if the heart loves the world more than it loves the Lord Jesus Christ, we got a problem. And so, again, what's our fellowship? Man, if we're fellowshipping with the Lord Jesus Christ, then the world doesn't look so good to us anymore. Those things don't seem to appeal to us like they used to. Because he's so much bigger in our life and he's so much better for us in our mind than the world is. That's the reality of it. Again, benchmarks. Just maybe a few more. A compassionate and giving spirit. 1 John 3. Look at this one. Some benchmarks that, that I guess, help us evaluate our fellowship. 1 John three seventeen. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him. Notice it's his bowels of compassion that are shut up. How dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. See, notice again, God, God is really, listen, he's big on the heart, you know? No doubt about that. I, I'm not going to argue that. You know, one of the big, you know, well, God doesn't care how, what you do. He cares about your heart. Yeah, well, your heart affects what you do. You know what I mean? That's the whole point here. Later, Later on in the book of uh, 1 John, he makes it very clear, if you're not helping or doing for a brother, then you got a problem. Uh, but notice he says, but whoso hath this world's goods. The implication is that if you've got it to, to help people, and by the way, remember, you, we have to, re, in America, we are so spoiled, and we have so much. We've come to the place where we believe that if we don't have the newest cell phone, 
the nicest brand new tennis shoes, the, the sleekest looking haircuts, the nicest pants, and the outfits. We don't have all the things that we consider to be, well, necessities today. We're missing out. I couldn't help somebody else, preacher. I got two nickels to rub together. I mean, I got a cell phone bill that's 110 bucks. It's got to get paid this week. I mean, I just got a brand new Lexus. Are you kidding me? I bought a brand new Chevy down at the store down there. Did your other one run? Yeah, but, you know, it's just this is newer, it's nicer. You know, the fam's got to have something dependable. Oh, so you got rid of that 17 for a 20. I mean, just dumb stuff. You know what I'm saying? I'm not kind of exaggerating, obviously. I'm kind of over-exaggerating. But, but the point being is, we all have probably, we got more chump change in our pockets than most of the world has to eat on every week. So when the Bible speaks here in the book of 1 John, it says, Whoso hath this world's goods, and seeth his brother have need. Listen, and, and I'm going to clarify, the word brother there implies, implies a believer in Christ, another brother in Christ. My, the, the idea, I think, primarily is you got a local church and you see somebody in your local church that's struggling and they're a brother or sister in Christ. Man, your heart of compassion ought to well up and you ought to be like, man, I want to do something. I would love to do something for them. Now, you may have to be wise in that. You may need to be careful and pray about that first because you don't want to enable somebody that's going through a situation and they're using funds for the wrong reason. Or, but, but you might say, I'm going to leave some groceries on their doorstep. I'm going to buy them a brand new pair of shoes. I'm going to get that guy a new suit jacket. Even if I, I'm going to do... What, you get where I'm going with this? He's saying that if our fellowship is correct... One of the benchmarks of proper fellowship, fellowship with the Lord Jesus, is that we're going to have compassion on those that are in need that we see in our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. So you say, I, I don't help people because you know what? I, you know what? They made their bed, they can lay in it. Okay. Maybe your true fellowship's coming out. Maybe it's not the Lord you're really fellowshipping with as much as you think so. Because you know what? Jesus certainly, certainly gave you when you didn't deserve. And he certainly gave me when I didn't deserve. Compassion. Compassion. And that compassion expresses itself in a physical way often. How about this one, number five? We talked about a little bit on Sunday morning, but receiving answers to prayer. That's a benchmark of our fellowship whether we're receiving answers to prayer. And whatsoever we ask, 1 John 3, 22, whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Boy, I tell you, if our fellowship is right with the Lord, we're going to see responses to prayer. God's going to respond to us. So if we're not seeing answers to prayer, then maybe our fellowship isn't as intimate or as close as we would like to believe it is. Okay, that's I'm just some benchmarks, that's all, to gauge ourselves a little bit. You could probably go through the rest of the Bible and find a number of others. Real quickly, I got just two more. Here it is. His commandments are not grievous. 1 John 5, 3. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. Wow. You ever run into somebody that's a Christian that feels like, you know, serving the Lord's always so tough? You ever run into people like that? Maybe. I don't know. Maybe you've been there in your life. I mean, let's be honest. 
Some of us, we probably have been there. I mean, where, are you kidding me? Huh? We've got to go to church. And, well, you've got to go to school. And then you got to, well, we've got another meeting for the Sunday school. And, you know, it's just, wow. It's just never ending around here. And then I'm supposed to be separated from the world. I mean, I can't go out and do this, and I can't do this, and I can't do that. And this is a messed up thing. And God tells me I have to do this, and I got to do this, and I got to do that. Sounds like the commandments are grievous. You know what that is? That, 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 that might just be an indication that our fellowship isn't what we think it is. Oh, no, I love the Lord, and me and him, we got an agreement. You hear people say stuff like that, you know. Well, you know, we, we kind of, you know, we, we got an understanding, me and God. Do you really? It's unfortunate that it's not the God of the Bible, though, because he doesn't make agreements and understandings with you. You just have to comply with him. Funny how that works. But anyway, <clears throat> so be careful with that one. Okay, then finally, this is it. Last one. Okay, avoiding idols. In 1 John five twenty one, little children, keep yourselves from idols. And he says, amen. <clears throat> so I had to throw that in there. So some benchmarks. I, by the way, those idols, boy, those are tricky, aren't they? Boy, I tell you, for all of us, that's tricky stuff. Um, a lot of things, anything can become an idol if it's put above God or before God. Anything, anyone can. It's amazing to me how many of these young couples get married and next thing you know, you don't see them. Or they start to back away. Well, you know, we don't have time anymore for serving the Lord. Or you get a kid for the first time, your first child. Next thing you know, you're backing out. Well, you know, I got to take care of my kids, you know. I got responsibilities. Yeah, God gave you that kid so you could back away. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm going to tell you something. We misunderstand what God's all about. He did not bless us with children so that we could back off from him. Well, you say, well, the church isn't about God. That's a different thing than a relationship with him. Oh, really? That's why Jesus died for the church. He loved it so much he died for it. But we can't even go because we got to change a diaper. We got to feed a baby at home. What is wrong with our couples if they're going to allow a child, the very thing God gave them as a gift from heaven, keep them out of the house of God? What's wrong with us? Same with the married couples. I got married, and so, you know, the, the, the Jews used to take a year off, and they could enjoy themselves for a year before they went off to war. And I don't want to go back to church because it's always war there. I got a year. I got a year off once I get married. Now, you're going to have some war in the home. Let me promise you that if you get rid of God's house. But anyway, so anyhow, we got to close this down because I'm sure there's at least four inches of snow out there and two inches of ice over top of it. But anyway... We're going to get out of here so you can get home. And, uh, but, but just think about some of these things, these benchmarks. And again, I, I know we're trying to be kind of lighthearted tonight, but these benchmarks are important because our fellowship ultimately determines who and what we become. Well, it's important. Who are you fellowshipping with? Who, who are you really spending time with? It'll affect all of these areas. And uh, let's, let's work at that stuff. For whom he did foreknow. He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Boy, let's make sure that we're working on that, being conformed to the image of Christ. How's that work? You have to be in fellowship with him. So let's work at that and consider some of those benchmarks. Maybe you can come up with some of your own this week as you do some of your own personal study in the word of God. You might find five of them on your own. 
five things that would kind of identify your fellowship is, and how you're doing. And boy, I tell you what, that's when you grow. You don't grow all the time the way you ought to if all you're doing is listening to me tell you things. You have to dig in the Bible yourself. Find five on your own this week, and that'll really help you in your Christian life. Father, we thank you for this time together. Bless us now as we depart tonight. May you encourage us. We love you. We need you. And again, we do pray for safety tonight. And we just ask that folks would get home safe. Lord, I got to believe it'll be okay. But Lord, on the other hand, Lord, we just want your, your presence. We know that we can do nothing without you. Now, Lord, I don't know. Maybe someone sees a need to, to come to an altar and pray and ask you to help them this week. To, may their fellowship be closer. May it be sweeter even than ever. Lord, every one of us can draw closer to you. You said if we'll draw nigh to you, you'll draw nigh to us. I don't think I can ever get too close to you. Help me, Lord, to always want to get closer. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all